0: At some point in the summer of 2000, I really began to love metal. If I had to trace it back, I'd say probably somewhere it was in my DNA, whether it was my dad who was playing me Houses of the Holy on tape in his Ford Thunderbird or maybe when he played me Diary of a Madman, Ozzy Osbourne's album. But I remember specifically in 2000, crawling into the back of Rob Burt's. We don't remember if it was a Mercury Sable or a Pontiac 6000. But at the time, all of us were learning how to play instruments. Some of us were about to graduate. Some of us were about to start our senior years but specifically in town we were all being influenced by the music it felt like a turning point especially after y2k and everything would change nothing would be the same there was one band that really became the focal point for me
1: household barely often um my dad especially was a was and remains a uh, a music enthusiast primarily jazz and to a lesser extent classical and blues um and my mom uh at least to the best of my recollection was more oriented towards some of the 60s uh folk artists like joan baez and bob dylan and so there was kind of a there was kind of a mishmash of all those things, uh, and then I had two older siblings who were also musicians who are who are also musicians. Oh, okay and so that was some of my first exposure to people playing music was watching the two of them play guitar and sing. Um, and that was really also my first opportunity to play an instrument was just them having their guitars around and encouraging me to to try it out here and there Uh, what how were you when you picked up the guitar like seriously though um my first distinct recollection of it was uh i think around age 11 or 12 uh i had already maybe played my brother's guitar my sister's guitar but um The father of a friend of mine had an old, and in retrospect, now that I think about it, very nice Gibson acoustic guitar. Um, And I don't remember whether it was my friend or who who showed this to me. But uh, at that point, I was fairly obsessed with Metallica. And they showed me how to play the opening riff to one. And as soon as I figured out that I could play something that was part of music that I was also really enjoying, that was it for me. Boom, um, boom. so that was that was the entry point
2: what what do you
0: remember like
1: john welcome to the zanz
0: podcast i'm joined with my friend john Massel from gimme danger radio slash portland slash Hayes. my buddy so he can come on my podcast and we can talk about bands we love and today we're talking. yeah to- hi ryan hi buddy today we're talking about fucking isis Isis, not the, sure are. <laughs> not the fun group of ragtag people who don't agree with certain politics. We don't talk about politics because fuck them, but here's the deal. We're going to talk about a great band from, from Boston. But that opening clip there, that was Aaron in a recent interview talking about his first kind of offspring into the musical journey that he went on. John, how did you get into this band? Because this is this is a band we both mutually agree rules. Oh, yeah. Um, man.
3: I was trying to think about that because I, I took a note card out today and I started, like, because I was trying to make notes for this and I didn't really get far. I just wrote down their EPs and their <laughs> LPs. And That's I was okay. trying to think about, like, how it happened. Yeah. Um, I want to say i want to say um i was hanging out i want to say it was either adam dunn or dan matthews one of the two had the mosquito control um ep Mm -hmm. and they had played it for me i think it was um the song hive destruction Mm -hmm. which is really fucking great and (laughs) i just remember like i i i remember like i liked heavy music like i I was a kid that was you know i liked metallic and all that stuff but and you know i liked um that song fourth of july by soundgarden oh yeah right the
0: down tune which is super heavy yeah yeah
3: and i liked the melvins but i didn't like the the heavier stuff of the melvins like the slower melvin stuff Mm -hmm. i just thought it was too weird but there was something about that time period of hearing that song and like the fact that they were somehow adjacent to the hardcore punk world um, and they were just doing met- they, they were a metal like slow metal band that was releasing records on primarily hardcore or punk labels, right? Right. And, uh, and then after that, um, the Red Sea had come out and I bought that from Radio Kilroy uh, on 44th Street in Wyoming and also that same summer saw them play uh, with They opened for Dillinger Escape Plan in Candyria. and they were the opening band. And I remember like seeing them, and they started playing um, the first the first or second song on Red Sea, not the one that starts like the electronic one, but the one that was you. You were away, honey. You know, with Mm -hmm. that sound clip from David Lynch's um, Hotel Room, which is also it made me seek out that to watch. Anyway they opened with that and then that first big drop, it just like, it hit everyone in the chest so hard that I'm just like, <laughs> that's it. I love this fucking band. And I remember there had, there, there had to have been only 40, 50, 60 people maybe? There wasn't that many people while they were playing. It was like me, I remember Adam Dunn being there, I think Yonker was there. Yeah. Uh, I know for sure Adam Russell is there. Um, yeah, I think we are all there. It was just like everyone who knew everybody from Grand Rapids was there, and it was just like, they were fucking incredible. And then Dillinger Escape Plan came out, and they still had the original singer, and they were just insane. But yeah, that's how I got into ISIS, and it felt like from that period, I saw them pre- like frequently from like 1999 till 2003,
0: four. Yeah. So up at up at least (laughs) until panopticon i would assume right
3: yeah i the funny story about panopticon is i was so excited when that record came out Mm because i loved oceanic the oceanic was really but like some people were like oh they sound so different now they're going to this kind of like it sounds almost not as heavy right Uh, it sounds a little cleaner Mm mm-hmm but I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm ready for this trip because this is just getting better. They're just getting better as a band. They're becoming less like a scrappy hardcore band that wants to play slow Melvin's inspired metal, <laughs> to actually doing their own shit and becoming really good musicians and getting tighter." Right. Anyway, Panapticon came out. I was on tour at the time. Uh, I bought it, made my way down to Fest in Gainesville, and I got it was back at the height and me drinking, and I like. S- I don't know how this happened, but got kicked out of a hotel room with all of my shit. A lot of people did Got kicked out of this hotel. I had nowhere to go, so I slept on the street, and someone stole all my shit, and it had my Panopticon CD in it. Oh, fuck. So I had never heard it. I was so turned off from listening to that record after that happened that I just, like, I didn't listen to it for maybe a couple of years, and then I was like, oh, I really like this record. Maybe,
0: maybe it was a guy from Neurosis who was like, no, you should listen to our band, fucker. <laughs> just kidding.
3: That would be funny that would be funny but yeah so yeah that's that's kind of how it all happened how i got into them and how i fell in love with that band
0: (laughs) i would say it was definitely rob burt and adam Dunn for me but i actually went in 2001 what's that go ahead well i was gonna say Rob, rob and adam both like adam had i remember there was like a magazine sitting in his room And there was just tons of bands that, like, he would, like, like, just worship and talk about. And I was like, "Eh, this is okay, this is okay. This was definitely the first one that shot out to me. Like, I had, yeah, I'd enjoyed Dillinger's Escape Plan. I liked Converge. I liked Kolesk. I liked all these, you know, these bands. But, like, Isis was the one that finally really spoke to me personally and like influenced me it was it was definitely the first metal band like modern metal band that i was like okay i buy this like i buy you yeah. know how like some people might be like oh i'm an acdc guy you know i like in from the 80s like an older dude like the anytime they put out an album i listen to it front to back you know stoned out of my gourd just fucking feeling every note that was the they were mm-hmm. that band for me and like especially and I played it in the beginning, The Tower. I remember listening to Celestial in Robert's car and being like, this is so much better than the bullshit new metal I've been listening to all through high school until now. Oh,
3: yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it just was... I was thinking about this because before we jumped on this call, I was watching live videos of ISIS, and um, I... you know i I smoke weed so i smoked some weed and i was watching videos of isis and i was it just made me like really remember why i love that band because it was like they took i thought you know when i was a teenager listening to punk and hardcore that the people that smoked weed and like played music ended up playing shit like pink floyd which is fucking great you know, now that I'm older and I can respect <laughs> it, but when you're a teenage kid and you just want to hate the shit that your parents like, whatever the fuck. Right. Anyway, and, and thinking like, you know, people that make music that are stone, they just make grateful dead shit. It was, and when I know that's totally not true. Um, but seeing ISIS, they took all that shit of like the stuff that I liked about like weird, uh, I don't know, the pretty folk music i guess or yeah like the pretty parts of rock and roll like the sensitive shoegazy things of rock and roll and mixed it with just like the melvins yeah and the <laughs> and like they just mixed it with that and it just was like it was the first band i heard like that it was like i now understand why people smoke weed and play heavy music Right, <laughs> or whatever the fuck you know, because well, like I said when I was a kid, I just thought weed uh, was equivalent to like being a hip a dirty hippie, and I wanted nothing to do with that shit, so well yeah. i
0: would, I immediately I think everything about this band really spoke to me that, I mean it really starts with Aaron Turner, who was born November fifth, nineteen seventy seven he is. A American musician, singer, graphic artist, and founder of label Hydrahead Records. Obviously most well-known for his role as guitarist and vocalist for ISIS. Currently Sumac and Old Man Gloom, which is great stuff.
3: Old Man Gloom is so great.
0: (laughs) I think with me to with him being a graphic designer, that really is what spoke to me as well, because the album art was so cool. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the font for the ISIS lettering, the the song title choices, like everything, granted, and I've harped on this before in the, in the show in different episodes of the podcast, I, I'm not a super serious guy. Like, I like a bit of humor involved. And mm-hmm. I think... Like, like if you take something like Tool per se, like I think I, I'm not the biggest Tool fan on the planet. And again, this isn't a review show, but if you like that, that you like that. And there's some great music and musicmanship in there, but I appreciate occasionally they will kind of joke around. Like I know in the Anima CD, there's a dude blowing himself, shit like that. Like I can appreciate <laughs> the fact that Maynard yeah, fr- yeah. was friends with Bill Hicks and all that sort of stuff. But like... With Isis, it really comes down to the guys in interviews. When they talk, you can tell, like, they're they're more chill, and I appreciate that. And even Aaron himself, who, you know, some of those guys can be really, like, serious about the art, and I can appreciate that as long as they're not, like, fucking crazy. And that's the nice thing mm-hmm. is that, like, I think, like, true artists really kind of, like... This is a weird comparison, but I was watching a Dick Cavett interview with the probably one of the most famous ones with John Lennon and Yoko, where it's, oh yeah, yeah it's like seven yeah. the you know which one I'm talking about but I I, I was rewatching
3: this yeah
0: I was rewatching that the other day and are listening to it and I was like kind of catching the fact that. The balance between the two of them where she is just like this soft spoken but intense artist and then John is just a rock and roll dude who's kind of like cracking jokes left and right. You kind of see that a little bit in certain bands. And I know I again I, I don't know if there's really a point to it. I'm really just kind of stating the fact that like Isis is super comes off as super serious, but I don't get the feeling that they're like you know, militant, scary dudes at the end of the day. Oh, no,
3: no, no. I can tell you, I can tell you for an absolute fact that those dudes, I mean, yes, they take their music seriously. Like mm-hmm. they should, um, to me, I looked at it cause like we, you know, I, like I said, there was a, a period of time. Like I was seeing them constantly with Rob Robert and Adam done like constantly. Right. And they played in Kalamazoo at this coffee shop. I can't remember the name of it. Um, God, someone out there will know it. Whoever's from Michigan, it was in Kalamazoo. It was a coffee shop in the l- l- late 90s, early 2000s. Anyway, they played there with... uh this opening Dalet, De- Dalek. Through, Also opening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dalek, yep, yep. Um, but they played there, and I remember we were walking around, the court, walking around the street, the block, and they're all, like, ISIS, we saw them in their van, like, just smoking tons of weed and like <laughs> the car was like clam baked fuck and I saw them two other times after that and this everything after that was like I saw them all the time smoking weed in their van. And those dudes were just stoners. Yeah. They were just stoners. And they were super funny. Um years later ran into Aaron Turner and like met him at like a fest or somewhere wherever we were, I don't know. Um Super nice guy, and now he's tattooing up in Seattle, oh so wow close yeah that's um, awesome yeah, and he comes down here and he does guest spots and people that my my wife's in the tattoo community, and so they kind of like it's loosely she knows people that know him, so I've seen him out and like talked for them there super funny guy like. But ISIS, yeah, I mean, they definitely took their music seriously, for sure, but I don't think they're, like, militant about it, like, this is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> they, had the pres- they had a presentation yes. for it. They definitely had a thing that they wanted to get across with it. It was a whole feel with the band. As It was like a whole package, the artwork. The the artwork on the records was the extension of what the people in the band felt like the music was saying to them. If that's not nerdy, no. then I don't know what I, is. Well, that's but why that's I, how I've always looked at it.
0: That's why I wanted to have you on because, like you you mentioned in our initial podcast together, you tend to be like the music obsessive guy that that will look into these things. You know what I mean? Like, and I I kind of dabble in that. Like, I love this band. Don't get me wrong. I've listened to everything they have put out i've bought their albums on vinyl i saw them in 2001 i didn't mention that in cleveland with rob and adam and oh nice yeah they were on tour with napalm death at the time and it oh, would awesome. it would have been and that was the first time i bought one of their cds at, at a merch table it was the celestial european version at the time
3: oh cool yeah
0: <laughs> So And it was an awesome I, I'm show. I'm surprised
3: I didn't go to that show with you guys. I'm surprised I didn't go to that. I might have been on tour. I think North Lincoln might have been on tour or something because yeah. I totally would have been that
0: show. <laughs> I remember there was supposed to be more people, but I think it was just like, I just was able to to get in the door and I was like, fuck yeah, I want to see this band. Um, let's get mm-hmm. into a little bit more about the members here because there's there's yeah, sure. quite yeah. a few. Um, so... <laughs> The band is not just Aaron. There's also Jeff, and I want to pronounce this right because it's a little fu- funny, C-A-X-I-D-E, Caxide. He's the bass player, <clears throat> best known for his time with post-metal band Isis, of which he was a founding member. Now, actually, these before, before Aaron met Jeff, um, he was living in Nevada, uh, like, Straight up breaking bad style growing up, and then <laughs> moved move back to Boston. So th- these are all like art school kids, kids, and, yeah. And initially, he wanted to do music, but was kind of turned off from it because he found kind of has his more of his passion involved in the graphic and the visual arts. So, um, or I'm sorry, I said Nevada, New Mexico, I meant sorry,
3: New Mexico, okay.
0: So, um Jeff is also a member of Red Sparrows, but left after the release of their first full link. He also contributed to a side project called Spy La Capa. Prior to his time in ISIS, he was a touring member of the Boston Metalcore Band 454 Big Block. He also helped found Connecticut-based metalcore band Cable. His stay with the band as a musician was brief, but he did return in order to produce 1999's Gutter Queen.
3: um, You know, the two bands out of that, I'm definitely familiar with Cable and 454's Big Block.
0: Um, Now, is is that similar to, like, kind of like that post-hardcore, like, metal, like, Dillinger style, or like...
3: Do you... Cable, the cable is just kind of like, uh, yeah, kind of like a uh, the aggressive end of, I guess metalcore.
0: Mm, okay,
3: cable. I guess cable would be described that way if I'm thinking of the right cable, because you know it was the '90s, so there's like a lot of bands <laughs> named the same thing, <laughs> yeah, or a few right. bands. But I think it's the cable that I'm thinking of. The Boston area cable. They're, yeah, they're, no,
0: uh, yeah, you're right. Four
3: fifty four, like big block was just. You know, metal, metal adjacent band, heavy,
0: all heavy music. Everybody in their grandma had a metal band. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Aaron Harris
3: haven't yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you had a cool band. Don Knotts is sweet. Check it out. Uh, You could fit like twenty four Don Knotts releases on one ISIS song. Um, Aaron Harris, born November eleventh, nineteen seventy seven, American musician and composer, best known for his career as drummer for Los Angeles based post-metal band Isis he was the band he was in the band from its inception in 1997 which Hydrahead started before that interestingly enough which is the label that was run also by Aaron Turner Now uh I wanted to mention Hydrahead because I specifically remember seeing so many great bands come from that label like Oh yeah I feel like when I first started hearing my friends talk about wanting to release music and be on a label. It felt like Hydrahead seemed like the dream, especially with how much metal we were surrounded by and still are in some ways. <clears throat>
3: it's true. It's true.
0: Now, and and I mean, also...
3: it is shit for, for Caven, Agoraphobic Nosebleed, um, Big Business, Pelican, uh, Who Else? Daughters, Old Man Gloom stuff. Botch. I think Drowning Man.
0: <laughs> one of my favorite things to come from Hydrohead was this EP from this band called Mare. M-A-R-E. If you mm-hmm. if you get a chance, I fucking like highly recommend anyone check out mare like the horse mare m-a-r-e the artwork's amazing it's like five songs and it'll just rip your fucking scalp off it's like the heaviest fucking doom and then like jazz it's it's crazy um yeah
3: see that's the thing is they put out like they put out so much stuff like, just they put out a couple records for coalesce Well, at least uh did the vinyl version for Revolution and just listening because it was at a time when Relapse wasn't doing vinyl. So Hydrahead did the vinyl version for that. And then they did that uh, Coalesce Led Zeppelin covers record
0: too. Ooh, I liked that. <laughs> that was good shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since ISIS's demise, Harris, the drummer, has become increasingly involved in his career as a composer and producer. His composing work has appeared in projects for A24, Warner Brothers, Universal, Disney, Lionsgate, Netflix, NBC, Red Bull, and Samsung, among others. As a producer, Harris has also worked on records for Palms, Pussifer, Team Sleep, Pelican, Zozebra, Spotlights, Huey, Jacob, the Jezebels. Fuck. Dude's busy. Yeah, man,
3: he's done a lot of shit. <laughs>
0: he's a really good fucking. Dr- he might be one of my favorite like drummers. Um, he's got a very distinctive style. Like, I don't know. Am I wrong? I mean, you're you're no, more... you're one hundred percent right. Yeah, he's
3: very like. Um, I was like I was saying I was watching videos of them playing because I remember watching them play when I saw them, and thinking like he's got a very distinctive style, very distinctive feel. Right. Like when I hear him play,
0: there's, I know it's him. There's something.
3: I know it's him. Yeah. Yeah. And his snare drum sound, he's got like a very unique snare drum sound. It's like you can hear this. So, what I think is like most drummers nowadays are using more strands on their snares so you can, so you can hear the snares more. Mm-hmm. But back then, but, but him, I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking this in my head, but he's got it almost like it sounds like the snares aren't on, but they are on.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So
3: so it's like a very distinct sound that he has when he plays. Um, Yeah, a very distinct groove and feel. Yeah, the whole thing.
0: I also like the (laughs) way his, um, his sticks hit specifically on his cymbals. It adds this almost epic scale to everything. I don't know if it's just the way he holds his hand when he taps the top or whatever. There's something about it, or maybe it's the way they recorded it, but just the the drums in this band, I can't think of a more epic kind of cinematic sounding drummer to have in your band, and I'm sure that's... I'm sure... I'm I i I'd, I'd, I'm assuming, but I, I'm sure in some way, in some capacity in the music, especially when they were fucking high as draft pussy, they probably had this <laughs> fucking just like synergy with that the way that music sounded and, and the way that he played but fucking cheers to you Aaron for get, getting it done with, with all these projects um, continuing yeah. on Michael Gallagher is an American guitarist best known for his work with this band Isis he joined them in 1999 for their debut LP Celestial having previously been a member of Cast Iron Hike he has an ambient project known as MGR or Mustard Gas and Roses. Under this moniker, he has released two albums and scored one film. Congrats, buddy! Bryant Clifford Meyer. Iron, What's
3: yeah. that? Cast Iron Hike. Cast
0: Iron Hike, man. That's a classic too from
3: the early mid nineties.
0: I see. Definitely like, remember that. It's it's crazy because every one of those one of these bands, like you, I, even before we started this, I there was like a band I was listening, and I, and I mentioned that that mayor band earlier, but like there was a band that I was listening to called Disappearer. I think it's, I think that's what they're, gonna, they're from Boston, incredible band. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find their, um, I couldn't find their first EP. And then I had to like go on YouTube or something, but then I found out like they were part of this other band called doom riders. And then one of the bass players was also in, uh, i don't even know I, I can't remember but it's like they all connect somehow like those new yeah. England boys they <laughs> when they find like a really good mix it, it's like it just spreads and, and it webs out into like six different bands and and they're still going hopefully because some of these
3: guys well i think like i think like the the new england or the east coast hardcore scene too is just very tight-knit
0: mm-hmm.
3: at least like um Yeah, so New England, like Connecticut, and all that, and Boston, and all that shit. Um, It's, like, really tight-knit. I mean, I play music with guys that were from Boston, and the scene is pretty tight-knit of people. So I feel like the hardcore, like, the older hardcore scene, because that's where they're from, like, the mid-90s kind of hardcore scene, Mm -hmm. they're just very tight-knit. So it's, like, you know, they play... You got to think, man, all the major cities that they're playing are only, like, a two-hour drive from each other. Not even yeah no so no. like you're meeting all these other bands and the guys are becoming friends and so the next thing you know your world gets smaller and smaller because you're like oh i'll play music with that guy oh i'll play music with that guy you know because you can do it it's not like where we grew up in grand rapids you <laughs> had grand rapids and then detroit's like three hours away you right know, these guys were like pretty close to each other like train rides so it's yeah you're touring they're touring to different major markets it was like you meet so many other bands. So like their scene just kept like incestuating with itself and making all these crazy bands. It had to be really exciting to be a part of.
0: Yeah. And it's probably nice too, because if you're, if, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but like, if you're stuck in a group where it's like, I don't like musically, I can't really relate to these guys. Like they like, we're kind of 50, 50, but you know, this guy wants to play, you know, whatever ska punk. And I'm, you know, mm-hmm. more focused on the, the, the chugga chugga fourth of July yeah. garden style. I'd like to go this way. Like you'll, you'll eventually meet like, cause it, again, it's like a relationship. You kind of court the, 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 the people that are like-minded and you want to kind of gel. Like you don't want to be completely like, I mean, it's good to have, obvious influences but also differences but like you also oh, want to sure. work together to find that so Brian Clifford Meyer this is the last of the members here he uh, is the keyboardist guitarist and uh, backup vocalist best known for his tenure with Isis he was with the band since its debut Full Length Celestial in 2000 previously he was a formative member of Boston based rock band the Gersh, Gersh?
3: That that one I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's also a member of post rock side project Red Sparrows, Windmills by the Ocean, and a solo project named Taiga. So basically, uh, Isis forms in Boston. They uh, it's led by Aaron Turner and Jeff Caxide. Uh, they go on. They they did for a brief moment their breakup in 98 uh they had a really shitty tour during their ep era uh the shit did not go good and (laughs) anybody who's ever been in a band knows what it's like when you're in a van and oh yeah the vibes are off or i don't know Mm -hmm. somebody's fucking not pulling their weight or who, who knows what the situation is, but i
3: touring when you're first starting out sucks. It yeah. Sucks.
0: Yeah. Hard. And it's just no, hard. nobody at the time you think like, I can, I can get around on a mountain dew and two hours of sleep, but like nobody factors in how no. shitty your attitude's going to be. Yep. Especially <laughs> playing to like two people and those two people are the booker and the other band or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. so as I said, Aaron starts Hydra heads, uh, Hydra head records before the band. Um, and I think I, I didn't, I, I didn't really mention it in the beginning there, but he did have a high school band before he, uh, before ISIS, which was fascinating to me. Cause I, like, I couldn't imagine him being in anything other than Sumac old man gloom and, uh, ISIS. ISIS. So
3: we gotta, we all got to start somewhere.
0: <laughs> no, I know. Um, but it's crazy. Cause like, I, I want to go back, circle back to that because, um, as I said, he grew up in New Mexico and his first concert was seeing BB King at the Taj Mahal, which is mm. pretty fucking cool. Uh,
3: it's the venue. I think that there's a venue in New Mexico called the Taj Mahal.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, so, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't go to Egypt or whatever. Um, yeah. The first two cassettes he had that he would play constantly was the Ghostbusters soundtrack and Michael Jackson's Thriller. Also a huge fan of Beastie Boys License to Ill, and Jimi Hendrix and Motley Crue's uh, Girls, Girls, Girls. His first guitar... typical. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, yeah, he's he, typical '80s kid. Yeah, for sure. Uh, his first guitar was given to him by his parents. It was less than a hundred dollars, and it was from an auction. It was a 1950s Guild electric hollow body, which is sweet as fuck. Uh, mom and dad were super supportive, although his dad was definitely confused with his metal interest. Um, he'd listen to Master of Puppets, and his dad would shake his head confused. The first band that really showed him how intense metal could be was Carcass.
3: that? I mean, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good entryway to extreme metal, I'd say.
0: I feel like <laughs> that is why I'm such a horror movie fanatic. It was because Dan Matthews showed me Evil Dead 2. It's kind of like <laughs> the perfect balance of like extreme horror, but also comedy, if that makes any sense. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. Also, I should mention this. Jeff, uh, Jeff Cackside has a horror movie podcast, which is called actually Yonkers. The one who told me about it. Um, Necromaniacs podcast, which he hosts. Nice. Shout out to the Necromaniacs podcast. Uh, so carcass, he's like, yeah, I'm going to be fucking heavy. Um, art school hendrix or not i mentioned hendrix before that was his influence goes to art school in boston uh he had a high school band but was kicked out for being too metal so Weird. <laughs> his first, yeah they're like his friend who introduced him to the band was was big into devo devo and uh industrial and he was all about metallica at the time in Boston, he had a band before ISIS called Union Suit that was a hardcore band. So that's what I wanted to get to, because I, I don't want to forget.
3: The Union Suit.
0: Union Suit. Um, I don't think
3: I've ever heard of Union Suit.
0: No, nah, I mean, I. if you go back and, like, you mentioned those those first four EPs, the Red Sea, um, mm-hmm. I feel like, is the big standout. Um Mosquito control is awesome. I I think you can kind of hear that college era um sound. Like they're almost there, but I think whatever that breakup was and then like that refocusing before Celestial happens was key. Like I think everything really yeah. really comes together and the band becomes like what it is. Um so the band began. The band began playing out in the spring of '98, and recorded a demo at Salad Days Studios shortly thereafter. After an East Coast tour in the summer of '98, where they were joined by Randy Larson of Cable on guitar, Murchuk, uh, one of the guitarists, left the band. In 1999, Michael Gallagher, formerly of Cast Iron Hike, and Jay Randall, now of Agoraphobic Nosebleed. Yeah, Join the band, band, working yeah. on Red Sea. Is that what? It, what kind of music is that? I know the name. I'm think like I see something like agoraphobic <laughs> nosebleed, and I ame- immediately think uh, anal cunt or AC. No,
3: no, no. I mean, you're not. It's uh, it's like extremely like fast, blasty. Okay. Uh, it's like grind. I think. Right on. I think that's what it would be classified as. But they have a. They have a record called uh, 100 Hits. Right on. And it's got, like, 100, 100 songs with it or something crazy. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: I love shit like that. Uh, yeah,
3: it's ridiculous.
0: See, I'm sure... Yeah. And I, it, what's funny is while I'm seeing that name, I'm thinking, like, 99, 2000, I'm in Adam Dunn's basement, and I'm like, who the fuck is this band? And he just, like, explains it to me, and it's, like, in one ear and out the other. Um. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, continuing on, that's when mm-hmm. Bryant Clifford Meyer joins the band uh, to replace the agoraphobic nosebleed guy. Uh, after releasing their f- full-length debut, Celestial and its sister EP, Signal 5, which is really good. You should check it out. It is on Spotify, I'm pretty sure. There's like expanded versions of these CDs. Um, yeah. It's this on
3: Apple was, Music, too, I believe.
0: Yeah. This was released on Nurat Recordings. ISIS gained national underground attention in the metal hardcore scene through tours with Kavan and Neurosis. ISIS remained with this lineup until their dissolution in 2010. For the signal five EP, they contacted Godflesh member Justin Broderick. Now that's where I immediately wanna ask you, or have you been a fan of Godflesh or Jsu Yes. Okay, cool.
3: Yes. Godflesh is Godflesh is great. Street cleaner is probably one of the best heavy records ever made by a human ever.
0: You heard it here <laughs> first, ladies
3: and gentlemen. Kids. So yeah, if you've never heard if you've never heard Godflesh's street cleaner and you like heavy music. You need to fix
0: that, especially real quick. and and I mean we're this really this episode is is a love letter to down tunes, down tunings. Um, if you like heavy like rhythmic chuggy music, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you said mm-hmm. that. And Jay Sue is awesome too. Obviously, Um yeah. Phones. I was wondering how
3: you pronounce their name because when we were talking about Hydrahead, I was like, oh. He's put out a, a lot of records for them, and I like, I've like i always liked that stuff, mm-hmm. but I've never known how to pronounce the band name.
0: Honestly, I, I no I'm i going based yeah. on interviews, like how I've heard it, and I, I have a history of mispronouncing things, so honestly, if, I'm, if I am, if I'm i am sorry, Justin, or if any of the members listening to this from ISIS want to send a message to me, I apologize up front. <laughs> but um, Signal 5 following signal five the band felt a need to expand its uh expand itself artistically and i i think obviously they're the they're, they're huge fans of the melvins and okay. so and the they wanted to expand their distributive reach uh mike patton's ipecac records recordings was instantly put forward as an ideal candidate for the band. Turner's friend James Plotkin was already working with Ipecac, so he showed some material to Patton, who, unknown to the band, was already a fan. God damn, that dude is... Cool. That guy's on the pulse. He's such a fucking cool dude. He shows up in everything. Like, I, I don't know. Music-wise, like, <laughs> music wise, <laughs> like every, every, every second dude I know is obsessed with him, too especially in my age like the 35 to 44 they're like yeah dude faith no more mr bungle yeah
3: i love i love i love i'm not i'm not huge into mr bungle i know that Mm -hmm. like yonker and josh stacy and everybody's like way into mr bungle and it's like all right with me but i'd rather listen to faith no more especially the album angel dust i think Angel Dust is fucking classic you know who got me into that record was matt yonker
0: Mm mm-hmm well, Matt's the one, like, when I talk about how much I love Isis, he'll always, always play me something from Neurosis to kind of, like, balance it out. If I get a little yeah, too, dude, like, I mean, they're the greatest band on the planet. They're one of my favorite metal bands. He's like, I get it. I get it. But also Neurosis. And I'm like, I love you too. Yeah, buddy.
3: I mean, have you listened to Neurosis? Have oh, you, yeah. Have you sure. dive?
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. And I get it I totally, like I totally, totally, totally get it And to me it's like mm-hmm. ACDC, Led Zeppelin You know what I mean? Like there's There's similarities obviously And I'm not saying AC/DC and Led Zeppelin are the same I'm just saying like Two amazing bands It's um, it, it, it For me And and I'm sure there's guys that are listening to this Who are fans of ISIS Who haven't heard Neurosis or, or both But like to me the difference is really in how the music is is set up and how the albums flow I just personally have that comfort when it comes to these albums like I've been for me when I first heard Celestial this, this album like fucking owns and Gentle Time is one of the most intense like endings to a song I've ever heard like it there's something about those chords at the end of that song that hit this like nasally, Mm-mm. just like scary, like, sim- like it's awesome. And it sounds like complete destruction in a way. I didn't know you could make sound so fucking good in an album. Yeah. Um. So I guess it's, it's totally plausible in 10 years. I'm going to be saying, fuck you, Ryan of the 2023. Neurosis is the most amazing band ever that's the beauty of being a fan of music it always changes so
3: yeah i don't think i don't think you're you know you're not gonna ever say isis is better than neurosis it's just not gonna happen but there will be one day like where i hope that they're both on the same level for you because hmm. <laughs> like do- to me like i i i remember getting in neurosis because they were they were on lookout records um, they did a record on Lookout called The Word of Law, and it's it was like their start from... It was like their kind of a turn from being just a straight, fast, like hardcore punk rock band into doing like this weird kind of heavy, spacey shit, but it was still early on. It wasn't like what they are now or where they started with Through Silver and Blood, um, but that kind of made me follow them, and then, you know, Through Silver and well, you know, Times of Grace happened Through Silver and Blood, and my favorite record by them,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I, I don't care if anybody... I'm gonna say this my favorite records I think their best is Souls at Zero mm-hmm. but I'm probably gonna get a lot of shit for saying that anyway but Souls at Zero is the best Neurosis record in my opinion <laughs> and then for me it goes t- and then for me it goes Through Silver and Blood Times of Grace Enemy of the Sun's really good. I mean they're all fucking good it's hard and now I'm starting to talk about Neurosis and I'm like man what with- it's hard to pick a good
0: one. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I if I got to, I'll grab Yonker by his ear and drag him to a microphone. I already got him signed up in June, so it's fine. He'll be on here eventually. Oh, but cool. the thing of it is, like, I get it. And like I said, I like to go through... A band's complete discography. We have this amazing thing called the internet now, where we can go through yeah. and, and like really <laughs> delve. And like you said before, we started this. You were watching a live ISIS video that I'm I'm assuming it, you hadn't seen before. So it's like, I mean, mm-hmm. there's thousands of those things out there to to search and delve into. So I get it, man. And I yeah like i'm currently a huge fan of like going back and finding like old interview like i granted it was a very popular one but like that lennon interview i found an interview with like peter gabriel from way back when after he got out of genesis that is fascinating to me so it's like wow. you can i want
3: to see that know, oh yeah,
0: yeah i'll send it to you i mean I'm eventually going to have to do an episode I'm on like Peter that. Gabriel and Phil Collins and like yeah. that whole shit, but I'm saving those ner- the nerd the nerdy nerd out phase for that for later, but um All right, let's get into Oceanic. So, sure. full disclosure, this is probably in my top 10 albums of all time. Um, oh wow! Whereas Celestial was oh. still deep, <laughs> deeply rooted in heavy metal and hardcore. 2002's follow-up, Oceanic, saw the band acquire new characteristics comparable to post-rock and ambient music. Now, that makes sense. I mean, that's
3: that's kind of like what I was saying. Like when I told you, I was like, I people when this came out, and it was first of all, it was on Epicak, mm-hmm. which to a lot of people back then was like what the fuck is this so they they hit it big time now like you know not really sell out shit i don't don't remember anybody saying anything like that but but it was uh, a
0: big step up uh, for them
3: it was a huge step up obviously the recording budgets got bigger Mm -hmm. you can tell because the recording quality is vastly greater than what was on celestial um the songs became like i was saying earlier there are a lot i don't want to say they're cleaner, they're he- they're right. still heavy as shit, but they're clean. They sound clean, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that one song that I really like on the record. I think it's called "The Weight." It's like yes. that dreamy kind of with that drum part, you know, that cool drum uh, thing that what's his name plays,
0: um, Aaron. Yeah, it's
3: like, yeah, yeah, Aaron, Aaron Harris. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the it's that record. You're right. It's just like a, it's like a big step up. And it wasn't, I don't know, just to me, it seemed like it was fully realized, like their vision was starting to become fully realized, where they really wanted to go.
0: Well, I remember distinctly, and this is a future episode too, I was so enamored and in love with the band Hum, and they came after ISIS for me, but they were synonymous with that time of like growth, where I was just compiling cds and cds and cds and cds and just like obsessing and listening to music constantly and in 2002 i would have been in the service and i was home on leave and i i I went to coney island with adam dunn and we were in the car and he was like have you heard the new isis and i was like no man i i is it good and he's like dude I mean, yeah. all you do is play like hum. You should hear the new fucking hear Oceanic. It's it's basically like that, but you know, low as shit like ISIS, but like just as epic. And I was like, really? And he was right. Like I, I inevitably I got it from Vertigo, and I took it home, and I was just like, this is fucking huge. Like and yeah. it and it, it what's great about ISIS too. And probably one of the reasons I love them so much is there's, it's like a dense story in a song. Like you said, you brought up weight, but like even the first track on the album or from sinking or Carrie, which they started a Mm -hmm. lot of like, I think that live video you sent me, they started with Carrie has such a, like a story. And there's always like two or three, like, Oh wait, this is my favorite part. Like, in the song where they'll they'll transition to like an awesome syncopated rhythm or riff or just a cool kind of like again and and i can see because they they said post-rock so it's got like some of those not necessarily cliches but those turns in the song Mm -hmm. um and i really appreciate too because i got heavily heavily especially after the band into like drone music um the ambient influence that they had too. And, and it, and it really spread into other bands and they list some of them too, but there were, there was this distinct tone to oceanic after celestial. And I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, it really developed the sound of several contemporaries: Cult of Luna, Pelican, Tides, Rosetta, and Russian Circles. All cite Isis as an influence, especially during this time. Um, Tides is amazing, and I'm glad that they they mention them. You can't find a lot of their stuff online, and there's like every band from here to Timbuktu is is it, every city's got a band called Tides, and it's either yeah. a fucking christian worship band or it's like a cool metal band um (laughs) they're they're a post-rock band so check them out and rosetta is like space metal they're really great uh cult of luna obviously is probably i don't want to say anything too bad but they are definitely like a swedish version of isis if anything or they I, i don't know if they're swedish but they might they're they're Norwegian or something like they're they're Europe Europe version of ISIS and they they have one of my favorite like similar mm-hmm. ISIS albums somewhere along the highway. If anybody out there hasn't heard it, you should definitely check it out. So the uh, underground. I gotta
3: source. check. That. I don't think I don't think I've ever heard that. So of, I gotta check that
0: out. Cult of Luna. If you like, um, they kind of give me uh like a they're. They're in the same, like, dark vein of Isis. It has this almost, like, um, there are elements of it that reminds me of, like, Boren and The Club of Gore. I don't know if you've ever listened to them. No. Okay. That's, like, <laughs> yeah, dark, yeah, that's like dark jazz. They're they're awesome. Oh. Me and Yonker have talked about. It. It's really good shit. Like, honestly, like all those bands that cite Isis as an influence, you should check out. I mean, obviously everyone's heard of Russian Circles, but like mm-hmm. specifically uh Tides, Rosetta, and Cult of Luna, I would say are like my probably my favorites of those. Um, the underground success of Isis at this time attracted the attention of the likes of Mogwai, which is uh definitely, if I had to say one of my favorite instrumental rock -rock post-rocky influence bands with whom they have, (laughs) they have tuned or, or toured on numerous occasions. Oceanic remixes and reinterpretations was released in 2004 featuring reinterpretations of songs from Oceanic by a number of influential artists requested by the band. Both Oceanic and Oceanic remixes feature vocals by Maria Christopher of the band 27 The album featured another remix by Justin Broderick, who has supported Isis on tours with his band Jesu, which is also, or was signed to, Hydrahead Records. Panopticon, 2004, saw the release of Isis's third album, Panopticon, it signified a further progression many had predicted since Oceanic with a more advanced post-rock feel to the music, both structurally and in terms of sound. Justin Chancellor of Tool makes an appearance on the track Altered Course. That song might be my favorite song on Panopticon, even though the vocals are buried and it's like eth- ethereal. I just love the the jam in the beginning. and that's yeah, great. It plays into that Pink floyd thing that you were kind of saying, like... Sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes it just works, and on an album like that, I don't know. I, I said Oceanic is one of my favorites, and its I, it, I would say it's my favorite of all their releases. Is Panopticon kind of your go-to? I know you said you'd really like this album.
3: I like this record, but it's definitely not my go-to. My go-to is still um, Celestial. Right on. That's the one that, you know, I was, what, 19, mm-hmm. 19, 20 when that came out? around that time so like that's the record because that was their first full length. they were only yeah. putting out eps at that point so it was cool to finally get a full length so that's always my go-to but after that i would say panopticon for yeah. sure for sure Overall, and then it would go oceanic
0: <laughs> oh right on so the so your trilogy are right right there anyways um it was mm-hmm. a very well received album. Album being awarded album of the year accolades by Rock Sound and reaching number forty-seven on Billboard's Top Independent Album charts. Their first entry into any main uh, mainstream chart before touring That's the U.S. Crazy. It's insane to think of because I didn't know this at the time. Like again, I was still in the service, and yeah. actually, oddly enough, I'll probably play this song uh, during this part of the the episode, but. I remember distinctly, I think it's track two backlit off of Panopticon and very seldom, especially in the service, did I get a time where I would play a band for somebody and be like, dude, you got to check this out, but because a lot of times, (laughs) you you know, it was a lot of kid rock and a lot of, you know, bullshit, you you know what I mean, and I just kind of st- steered clear of that, but there were a couple of buddies I made that, like to this day, are like brothers to me, super close. And I remember distinctly, I got him, my buddy Adam, to learn how to play the bass, and we would we would play to different stuff, and I would play him stuff like Isis. And there was this one time I came in his room. It's the only time I've ever seen somebody do this. He was listening to backlit, and he he looked at me, he's like, "It's just fucking good, man." And he started to <laughs> cry. and i was like hell yeah dude this shit's emotional it's it's post-rock metal man it's serious shit but he's just fucking weeping he's just <laughs> i said you're a fucking baby and i smashed his bass and i left no he's he's a cool as fuck dude i was in his wedding he'll be in mine he's an amazing dude i love you adam but like he he uh but it's true like occasionally you get that moment where you really show somebody like some cool ass music that happens occasionally in life and it's it's great um yeah so before touring the u.s during this album the band performed a free concert at the los angeles museum of contemporary art in a manifestation of the widespread recognition the Recognition the band had acquired an artistic circle since their release of Oceanic. Reacting to the impact of Oceanic and Panopticon, Revolver named ISIS the 12th heaviest band of all time in December of 2004. (laughs) Wow. Wow. How does Revolver weigh the heaviness? I don't know. But. On July 23rd, 2006, they performed Oceanic in Full on KOKO in London as part of All Tomorrow's Parties Don't Look Back season. That would be a fucking awesome show to be at. What is... Now, they're saying heavy. I guess I always equate heavy to loud. What is the loudest band or heaviest band you've ever seen live?
3: Holy shit. Uh... I'd say the first time I saw them was pretty heavy, uh, but then seeing Neurosis was pretty mind-melting. Um, oh, well, else was pretty heavy. Uh, this band, oh shit, I forgot about this. There's a band that was from Minneapolis called Animal Lover, mm-hmm. and they played, I booked them a show at the bunker in Grand Rapids, that pizza place. You know, there was like that pizza place that Ryan Capiletti ran, and then in the basement he did like punk shows there. Mm -hmm. and i booked the show for this band animal lover who was friends with that band buildings that uh shores used to play with quite a bit
0: i love that Uh, fucking band dude
3: yeah same here they're fucking great and uh animal lover came and played and they like were the loudest heaviest thing i had seen (laughs) at that point it was so fucking loud that i think uh the people that were working in the pizza place came down at some point And they were like, they either need to stop playing or the show's done because they were just so <laughs> crushingly loud. It was insane
0: <laughs> i I love I love heavy, I love loud, but i I'm with you like were you, did you enjoy that show or were you just like, my head fucking hurts my fucking oh
3: I thought they were I thought they were fucking great and then yeah. um I thought they were fucking great, but yeah, I would say like seeing Torch in Gainesville was really fucking fun and really fucking loud, and they were heavy. They were heavy. They played a bunch of Floor songs and shit when we saw them. Which do you like? So better, this before...
0: Floor or Torch?
3: Apples and Oranges. Yeah, honestly, like uh, Floor to me is great, but Floor is a different band from what uh, Torch is. Torch was more. It was still heavy with like that downtune heaviness
2: mm-hmm.
3: and still had the melody that floor had but it was more about making rock songs I right. mean, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. they weren't making like, <laughs> like like floor was doing you know right um so they're apples and oranges both are insanely incredible
0: yeah but that dude, the the main like songwriting guy behind that, is a fucking genius. Um, yeah, he lives uh, he lives
3: out here. He lives um, out on the coast. You should start a band, with Steve that Brooks. Guy. There you go. Yeah, uh, he actually uh, we're buddies on the on the interwebs, and he actually is looking. He was looking for a drummer, and my buddy in town here, this guy named Nick Parks, who's an incredible drummer. Mm-hmm. i told nick about it and nick nick i think had chatted to him i don't know if anything was happening with it but nick was talking to him. so
0: <laughs> it's all about rubbing elbows with the right dude and be like hey man let's make some down tune and riffs um yeah i would say that's threefold for me the first loudest show and i brought it up on this show i saw slipknot at the orbit room and for some reason. And I think it had to do mostly with the crowd and my first experience with Loud, but it was so fucking chaos. (laughs) It was chaos because it was a bunch of like sweaty, hormonal teens just throwing each other around. Um, And then I saw Magwai in Athens, Greece on the Happy Songs for Happy People tour, And it was just like, I'd never heard three guitars so fucking screamy loud. And then Swans at the Pyramid Scheme.
3: Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That's one of the loudest things I've ever been to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Swans is... Did you
3: know, here's here's a funny thing about Swans. I'll I'll, I'll say this real quick. When they first started out, they did it. They would play with uh, Sonic Youth all the time. They were part of the no-wave scene. Swans were... And Sean Stearns, I think, is the one that told me this story or this little tidbit. So Mm -hmm. thank you for telling me this, Sean. Made me love the band even more. But Michael Jara would wear a loincloth on stage only. (laughs) And when they would start playing, they would lock the doors or barricade the doors so people couldn't get out. And they would just play abrasively loud. And, like, you know, old Swan stuff is just, like, really, like, pummeling and, like, Mm kind of this drone they would shut people in in the room while they played and just annihilate them with <laughs> their loudness. And I just I that story to me it's like I it made me love that band so much more.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a future episode for me that band and a future like real really cuz it's like there's stuff I've heard by them that I love and their mm-hmm. live show is completely different and mesmerizing in its own right. And it, it gives more credence to the idea that like, you can't get the live feel from a record ever.
3: No, you can't. You, you can't. have to you be in um, front of
0: amps. You have to feel the sound. It has to, it has to be felt to be appreciated. Just like being in a band is so much better than say, making demos your whole life. Um, mm-hmm.
3: what, I, what I think you should do if you do do that episode Mm-hmm. The person you need to have on the show is Sean Stearns. Oh, that is his favorite band of all time. For, sure, for sure. he's got he, he's got he's got the um, the filth teeth tattooed on his forearm. You know that tattoo he has right there. That's the cover of a Swan's record.
0: Well, yeah, he's he's amazing. Anyways, he was going to be on here eventually. Anyways, but like like yeah. uh, also, me and Sean share a love for this amazing New York City band called Kala, which is like. This very because they started out and even like there was uh, something that got posted recently like John Peel was a huge fan of that band and uh, they never really got huge because I think somewhere mm-hmm. around the third or fourth record they tried to do more of a, a hooky rock sound that differentiated from like the more original beginnings of that band. I still love all their records, but check them out. If you've never heard Kala, they're fucking amazing. It's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's very minimal, like three piece, but like they make so much use out of like the limits, if that makes any sense. Kind of Mm -hmm. like, I guess I, I, I could call it a more shoegazy low. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Um, But the Uh, yeah, very good shit. And Sean's amazing and super knowledgeable with all this stuff. So also during the Panopticon time, that's when they did their In the Fish Tank 14 with Areogram, which is, the song there is awesome. The Areogram singer is phenomenal and the collaboration came out perfect. That's one of my favorite um, In the Fish Tank releases or whatever. Um, It was part of a project of Dutch label... Concurrent in which two artists are given two days studio time to write and record their work. Now we're getting to the the back half here. So, the In the Absence of Truth record, uh, the band finished recording their fourth full length, In the Absence of Truth, on July 9th, 2006. It was released on October 31st, Halloween, on Ipecac in 2006. The record sees the band again evolving in a manner similar to Oceanic and Panopticon. song structure, drumming complexity and vocal techniques. So this is the one where he starts to sing sing and it kind of has mm-hmm. hit or miss moments, but it's also their longest record. This is Absence? Yep.
3: I again yeah, See, this is like this is where I started to tune out.
0: Yeah. And I <laughs> I, I I have I have mixed feelings on certain stuff. I get that um, ISIS were, at the time, they were opening the opening act for Tool in support of uh, 10,000 Days. This led Mm -hmm. to a ton of exposure for the band. However, the band members are not particularly comfortable with fame, fame, at least Aaron. He has more of a DIY approach, which I fully, fully respect. Uh, I think being on tour with a band as big as tool though is going to lead to probably some pleasantries that maybe they weren't quite used to and wanting to take advantage of i would some of them i'm not saying all of them um, or one of them in particular. i don't know i wasn't there but Turner has stated that quote, we never imagined that ISIS would become as successful, successful or as popular as it has and confesses fans taking a deeply personal interest in who I am. It fucking freaks me out. And I do really do feel like sometimes when I get approached, I'm retreating into my shell. So I don't know. You, you kind of mentioned it, but (laughs) excuse me. Um, thank you. Uh, they did, and by full confession talk about specifically at least Aaron did about them all smoking a shit ton of weed and even having like a a tip jar for weed, basically, oh yeah, um I don't know about you, I do occasionally love to take an edible I don't drink at all, but I and then I will occasionally smoke not as much as I used to, but for some people it can lead to a little bit of paranoia and i have to assume that if you're doing it all the fucking time and and suddenly things are taking foot especially in your like main artistic output that would be a little surreal and i can't imagine those two things gelling very well um I don't want to throw in the absence of truth under the bus completely because there are some amazing songs on this record. And I think that there's more of a tribal feel from at least from uh, Aaron Harris's drumming. And I do think that taking chances is better than not at all and just basically yeah. putting out the same record every time. Um, but a lot of this record specifically was done not together if that makes any sense so like demos and, yeah, they, and weren't, shit
3: like the, they weren't they weren't uh, together in the studio recording it
0: um which to me kind of speaks to the length if that makes any sense like it's like because I you know how it is when you're in a band and you write together in a room you can feel the changes you can feel like when things are really gelling when shit's like exciting mm-hmm. Um, But that leads to Wavering Radiant and The Breakup in 2010. Uh, In April 2009, the band won in the category Best Underground Metal Act at Revolver's Golden Gods Award Ceremony. The band's fifth album, Wavering Radiant, was released shortly afterwards by Ipecac. The CD saw release on May 5th, 2009 and a limited edition uh, vinyl on April 29th, 2009. It was produced by Evil Joe Beresai after years of working with Matt Bales had grown routine for the band. So I think the idea really was that they were just like, let's just try something new for this record. The album's sound continues Ice's legacy of lengthy songwriting and presents a slight departure from the soft-loud dynamics which characterized previous releases. Critical appraisal was largely positive. I remember seeing Pitchfork review this and giving it like an 8 or
3: wavering yeah
0: Yeah. like it was pretty universal and i know rob i mentioned him from the beginning talking about him being kind of the pivotal influence and one who was like you should really check this out um he swears by this record and most fans like deep deep fans who just adore this band's and not saying that we don't either, but like some of them definitely a faction of which say that like they progressively got better to them and Wavering Radiant is their best record. Um,
3: yeah. It's, it's got a, I'm looking at the pitchfork review right now. i got an 8.5. Okay. Named, it was named best new music. Wow. On May 14th, 2009.
0: And good for them, especially for a, a post metal band. Like that's pretty fucking rad. To, to To get so much critical acclaim, um, and to be touring with Tool, like I mean, Tool again, like I'm not down downing anybody who likes the band, but it's kind of a mainstream metal band, and you know what I mean. Like it'd it'd, be, it'd almost be like yeah. I guess I I'm trying to compare this in a way that maybe some people will understand, but I guess it would be like ah. Uh, like Green Day having like a, a great underground band play with them or something like that. Um, so extensive touring following the albums released, taking and headlining shows across the US, Europe, Japan, and Australia with bands including Baroness, Big Business, Caven, and Melvins. The tour took in the 2010 Bonnaroo Music Festival in Manchester, Tennessee, as well as the Soundwave Australian Music Festival music festival in australia on may 18, 2010 isis announced their decision to break up following their final tour with the final show to be in montreal the location of the band's very first show on june 23rd 2010 isis collectively stated they have done everything we wanted to do said everything we wanted to say and as part of an agreement made by the band at its formation did not wish to be faced with the possibility that it would push past the point of a dignified death. And fuck, fucking an A. I appreciate it, Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I, I, you know what I, I mean?
3: I agree with that 100%.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do, too. And I, I feel like if you're in a band and you can end it on a positive note, like, that's fucking rad. Like, again, like, my band before or not my band, my, um, was it, uh, my podcast before we had the same thing where it was like, why not end on a positive note? You know what I mean? Like if, if, Mm -hmm. if, if you feel like you've done everything you needed to do and you're ready to go to the next phase, I mean, I know it sounds cliche to say, but like, I've heard this saying before that every seven years you're all the cells in your body are regenerated. Like you're basically a new person and it feels like every seven to 10 years fads completely change. A new generation comes in, things change. You know what I mean? So 100%. I, I feel yeah. like in a, in that range, you want to be pushing to the next phase or a new chapter, a new book. Cause life gets stale, you know, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, um, mm-hmm. I completely think that ISIS is one of the be- best examples of a band that got in, did what it did the best, and got out at the right time. And uh, I want to play no, I, I want to play a quick clip. Here's an interview with Aaron where he's talking about that basically what we're talking about exactly.
1: I like challenges um, I I hit a wall maybe 10 or 12 years ago where I was touring a lot and, and playing songs the same way every night even though those songs initially had had a lot of power for me the more they were reproduced and copied the less I found myself engaged with them so even if there are times as I was mentioning in the studio where I felt anxious and this also happens on stage where I feel like maybe everything is falling apart and I've lost control. That to me is preferable to feeling like I'm just reiterating something that has already happened. So I prefer uncertainty and the possibility of failure rather than some kind of um, professional recreation of a preexisting idea. That's not to say I don't enjoy playing structured music because I very much do. Uh, I need a balance though. And there are times where I want to play only a part as it's supposed to be played. And there are other times where I just want to abandon structure altogether. Talk mm-hmm. about a
0: cool dude. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. I fully, fully, fully fucking agree with that. And if you're in a project and like it's I ending, too. you know, yeah, anytime we're in bands and and something we're doing it comes to an end, I, I get like the grieving process. It's all part of it, you know. Like I said, it's a relationship. You're grieving and ending, but I think that it's life's about you know when we get to those ends or we hit those triumphs. Reflection too, just as much as it is presence and being present. So.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. We always have the music, yeah. and that's the coolest thing. It's true. It's true. I, I, agree sound, with you. I sound like I'm going to start a cult or something. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. so that's our. That's yeah. That's basically our episode on ISIS. Um, I really, oh, yeah. I really appreciate you being on. I love your your deep love of music and and your passion for it and everything else, man. So. Um, thank you so much thank you for sure it was
3: a lot of fun i got to i got to get a little stoned and talk about isis fuck is yeah great.
0: fuck yeah dude <laughs> um maybe the next time we do this we'll we'll talk about sonic youth there's a there's another band we both oh love. jesus
3: <laughs> that would be uh yeah that one would be a lot of fun that one i would go on tangents on certain things and talk about weird crazy fucking textures and I don't know, it'd be really nerdy
0: <laughs> well, I I I feel like Aaron is um Aaron especially with Sumac and I I and this is kind of to wrap it up but to talk a little bit about like with Yonker's influence on my music taste and probably yours the same um in his introducing different bands and me you know showing him different bands but I've felt like the more I've looked back on the histories of the bands that I love specifically to get the best mix, you need somebody who's driven and has a vision. And then oh, yeah. we, we kind of, we didn't really talk about it too in depthly, but like the other members went on to make palms per se and Deftones <laughs> singer Chino Marino jumps on the mic and decides to sing for the band. And you get kind of like, almost like uh and I, I I do like palms, but it's it's definitely ISIS without Aaron Turner, if that makes any sense, or ISIS light yeah. if you if you want, you know. Um, and I think that that's great, and I like the Deftones for for what it does in that category. But I think in order to get ISIS to be ISIS, you need you need Aaron in that band, and it's just mm-hmm. like you can't have the velvet underground without john Cale. you can't have sonic youth without thurston you need that kind of crazy creativity to make it really form and really function right yeah that's the thing
3: you know it's funny i never heard of palms until uh, like I, I knew the name but I didn't know who was in it. I just knew it was the dude from Deptones and I've never listened to it. <laughs> I've never checked it out.
0: It's pretty I've good
3: I've never checked it out.
0: It's pretty good if you like if you like the if you like what the members of ISIS did, there's there's stuff in it to find to appreciate. And yeah, like I said, I don't I don't wanna down anybody's creative output. I think you keep on and you keep making what you're you're good at and what you love and I love Sumac too like I the first release specifically really hit me and Matt and Britt were talking about seeing Aaron and Sumac in Chicago I believe and how a lot of that band is based on improvisation live Yep, and that's fucking rad I mean improv is one of the hardest skills to master so if if you can go out there and do that, especially musically, fuck yeah.
3: I mean, yeah. I mean, that's I've never, <clears throat> I've never seen um, that band, the Sumac. Uh, mm-hmm. But the drummer is in Baptists, and he's an animal. Mm-hmm. The guy is just insanely great but it the you know you saying that sumac is kind of just like based on like live improvisation well that kind of goes all the way back to like what aaron grew up around with his dad Mm -hmm. you know didn't you say his dad was a jazz guy yeah so he's you know he grew up around that shit and it maybe had a profound effect on him and once he started playing metal music he started probably traveling backwards and listening to his to his dad's shit, and getting Wayne to jazz, so it makes sense. He's like mixing the two things now to suit the ideals of two things. Yeah, you know, yeah. So and that, that's kind of cool. I never knew that about them. That makes that makes me want to check them out live, because they play here. They have played here a few times. Yeah. So.
0: Well, he's up there in at least off in an like a tiny island off of Washington or something like that. Like he, you have to take a boat to get where he is, which doesn't surprise me. I I feel like. Creatively, that's kind of the perfect scenario for the guy. But, um, yeah, yeah. awesome, man. Well, if you haven't, you should check out ISIS. That's been our episode. Uh, John, do you have anything you want people to check out right now?
3: Um, man, what's going on here? Well, uh, my band bothers is actually playing our record release show in Portland. Okay. i doubt there's a lot of people from portland that listen <laughs> to the show uh to the podcast but we are playing our record release show on june 10th here in portland so you can check out our new record it's called two
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, i guess it's newer it's newer it's not brand new it's been out for a while but you can check that out because we've got that show coming up um i'm in a band called amusement uh we have an instagram you can follow amusement PDX. Um, We played our first show. We're getting ready to record. We're actually going to we recorded a demo and Jay Robbins is going to be mixing a couple of songs. Nice. Um, So yeah, I got that going on and uh, started another band with a guy that plays in the the band Youth League and two of my friends that were in the band Lock and Key from Boston um, and some other things. But we, we all started a band and we have no name yet. But we have like seven or
0: eight songs. So, <laughs> which probably the name. <laughs> get a name, my dude. Yeah, I'll add the link yeah. to the Instagram and the a link to Bother's uh, album two in the description cool. of the episode. And some links to Isis. You, you should check them out. Fucking rules. All right, man. Well, that's been your episode, folks. We'll see you next week. Have a great one.
2: presentation of fear city media